This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, October 17, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. With close presidential elections making recent history, the push is on for the national popular vote to decide future presidential elections. John Samples, director of the Cato Institute's Center for Representative Government, says there are a host of benefits to keeping our system of electoral federalism relatively as is. Samples' new analysis, a critique of the national popular vote, is available at Cato.org. The original idea about uh, the Electoral College was to create an institution that, you know, was acceptable to uh, the delegates at the Constitutional Convention. And what they came up with, they considered direct election, along with election by Congress. Uh, Both of them were thought to have, uh, you know, really bad shortcomings. So uh, they came up with a kind of deliberative, indirect way that was state-based, in which states would have the right to uh, select electors, who in turn would uh, uh, choose a presidential candidate from that state. The things that, so we don't have that system now. I mean, uh, right now when the electors meet in December uh, in the various state capitals, they won't deliberate, they won't, they will be pledged. And almost all of them, uh, if history's any guide, will vote for the person who won the state, right? Uh, so that's a that's a different system. It came about for a variety of reasons. One was that the development of political parties was not fully foreseen at the founding, and political parties changed the nature of that. Uh, they turned, as they became more national, they turned the state-based and more independent kind of system into one where the uh, uh, party unity across the states mattered, uh, and uh, so for from you know the 1820s, 1830s, you're really looking at uh, a party-driven process and one governed by the unit rule at the state level, where uh, whoever won the state won all the electoral votes. And then since then, we've had also other aspects of federalism have given way too. But we, the electoral college, is a good example of a uh, a federal institution becoming more national while retaining a few federal elements now. Just looking at this as a partisan issue, Mm -hmm. it would seem that Democrats would look at this and go, yes, this is great, Uh, not only because of the sort of egalitarian sort of view that your vote in, uh, in Idaho or North Dakota or South Dakota should count just as much as a vote. Uh, in the District of Columbia when it comes time to uh, vote, uh, elect a president. But there's also the uh, more real politic implication, which is that people in cities uh, would rel- matter relatively more, would they not? Well, that's always been the view. And I, I think, uh, and there is a partisan divide on this issue about the Electoral College. Uh, it's a partisan divide that goes back 30 or 40 years, at least, as long as I can remember anything about politics. And it's just the one you've said, that Democrats are, want direct election because they, they thought urban areas got the short shrift, that rural areas were overvalued, and therefore that the Republicans benefited because they were stronger in those areas. I frankly don't think there's a lot to that story. Uh, I've looked at uh, how you would, who would be affected by a change and how the parties would be affected by changes from the Electoral College to direct election. And these days, I don't get uh, a lot of statistical reasons to think that there's a big advantage for the Democratic Party in doing so. Now, I do think 
there is it does accord better with uh, the ideas the, of progressivism, which are often represented by the Democratic Party. That is this notion that one nation rather than a nation of states, direct election rather than a more federal system. Uh, those are, are closer, but in terms of partisanship and whether uh, we'll, see, you know, you'll see a stronger position for Democratic candidates, I think the evidence is not good on that. This issue of turnout, obviously, the uh, general opinion of of libertarians is pretty well established on the importance or relative or unimportance of of voter turnout, mm-hmm. but uh, this seems to dovetail quite nicely with people who want to see higher voter turnout reduce disenfranchisement of uh, groups of voters? Well, I think those are different issues. The, dis- uh, the, the questions about disenfranchisement that are raised are really different uh, 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 in the electoral college context than uh, increased turnout. The idea of increased turnout is uh, the way things work now because of the unit rule, which, is, by the way, the unit rule itself is chosen by states. It's not part of the presidential scheme necessarily. It just happens that they all choose that. Um, it it reaches, It has the point where if you are a safe state and if you lean, what well, state leans one way or the other in terms of partisanship, um, you know, the incentives for turnout uh, for people who are not going to win are pretty low. Like, for example, in the District of Columbia, just to choose one example, uh, it's a strong Democratic state, and turnout, you know, Republican voters such as exist in the district really don't have a lot of incentive because it's not going to affect the, the results. And this idea is spread widely. The idea of direct election is every vote would still contribute to your your candidate's ultimate result. And so even if you lost the state, it would make sense to turn out. Uh, And also then the idea is carried further and it said, you know, state officials would have reasons for everybody to turn out and try to uh, foster participation because uh, the more votes of either party that they ultimately contributed to the candidate who won, the more that candidate would appreciate the state. So the incentives... um, now, there's a couple of things about that. I mean, it's not a crazy argument or anything like that, but there's a couple of things you can say about it. Is It's not clear that actually moving to direct election would have that big of an effect. Uh, people who are already uh, you know, aware of what the Electoral College is, aware of political factors and so on, are already likely voting. The people who don't vote have low awareness and low interest and so on. And whether uh, anything states could do or just a sheer change to direct election would make the vote matter differently in a way that would bring them out. You know, political scientists differ on this, but many think it's, it's pretty unlikely. The other question, though, is that's assumed is that there, we should try to increase participation. And I know many people uh, by this point have read uh, Brian Kaplan's new book on uh, American voters and draws in a long line of uh, 50 years of data talking about uh, voters and what kind of contribution, how much information they have, and the incentives and so on. Um, at the margins, it, you know, it's do you improve the outcome? Do you bring more and better information to bear on the outcome by increasing participation? The answer seems to be no, that you don't. 
particularly on economic matters. Everybody remembers the 2000 election and the disputed state of Florida. What implications does a national, this type of national initiative for direct election of a president have on the ability to contain these types of uh, disputes within local areas? Well, you can go back to 2000 and, you know, sort of compare in a sense. uh, In Florida, of course, we essentially had a tie election and then we had a a long-running dispute. But it was in Florida. Uh, it was the focus, and it's, it happened to be the one that determined the election. Uh, had we had a direct election and everything been the same, which it's not clear it would have been, but if it were, you would have had uh, a much more widespread s- disputes. Remember, the difference between these candidates uh, on the popular side, Gore won by essentially a half million votes, which was well under 1% of all the votes cast. Again, the entire national election was essentially a tie, given, given the level of errors and so on in, in measuring it. So what would have happened is in uh, states like New Mexico or other states that were reasonably close uh, on election day, you would have also had attempts at recounts. Uh, You would have had the kind of partisan struggles we saw, except it would be much more widespread uh, than in just one state. So when you have that kind of uh, what seems to be about every century a debacle or so, uh, or over a century. It had been a long time since we had anything like 2000. Uh, the Electoral College acts to constrain it in a time when we're a 50-50 country, uh, roughly speaking. Um, that seems like a virtue, not a vice. Well, what reforms are reasonable for the Electoral College system if we don't have the system that was originally created? Well, the current system, I think, does have some... Uh, Risk. The risks are not as high, perhaps, as people think. For example, the question—but they could have sensible reforms. The question of the, the rogue elector, the elector who votes for a candidate other than the one they're supposed to. Now a state votes for, and electors are appointed, and they're supposed to vote for who, whichever candidate won the state. Uh, in some cases, that doesn't happen. In a very small number of cases, it hasn't made any difference. To, to the ac- outcome of the election, but it could. And you don't want uh, one elector on their own judgment deciding who wins the presidential election. My friend Bob Bennett has outlined some uh, changes that could be made to bind electors t- ele- electors tightly to the uh, results in their state. And I, I think those make sense. Uh, it gives trust in the system. And we, do want, we don't want someone, one elector, for whatever reason, or a few electors uh, deciding to change the election results. John Samples is director of the Cato Institute's Center for Representative Government. His new analysis, a critique of the national popular vote, is available at Cato.org.